Okay, I know many of you are here today because you are expecting us to be in Leviticus and you invited your friends and so you have to hear Leviticus. Sorry to disappoint you. Uh, we're not in Leviticus today, um, but we are in Philippians. So if you have your Bibles, um, if you're here regularly, go ahead and mark your Bible in Philippians. We'll be there for several weeks now. Um, a, a wonderful passage of scripture today. Uh, you would you expect me to say that every week, and I do. I love the Word of God. Uh, I love every Word of God. There's nothing in this Bible that is not for our good, for, not, for our correction, and for our benefit. Uh, and so join me in Philippians. It's halfway through your New Testament, so if you look at my Bible, it's probably, uh, for you, finance and accountants, 80%. You're probably going to tell me I'm wrong, but about 80% of the way there. Um, so join me in Philippians 1 this morning. And while you do, let's pray. Uh, Lord, as we read your word, we ask that you prepare our minds uh, to, to understand. Lord, you would prepare our hearts. You would open our hearts to, to be corrected where we are in sin or to walk where we need to walk, but you would give us a heart of faith to receive the word of God. Lord, we do not we do not need or want the words of men. We want the word of God. So we ask this morning that you give us that through your spirit. In Christ alone we pray, amen and amen. Join me in Philippians 1, verse 3. You might be asking, well, is, is every service like um, at Bethel full like this? Yes, I, I pray uh, we already have people that were not be baptized this Sunday ready to be baptized in August. They said our schedules aren't working out, so praise God um, for that. Uh, let me just say this. We're gonna, we'll have our invitation now and later. Um, if you have not put your faith in Christ, you have seen eight, nine, ten. I, I couldn't see from that vantage point. Um, people that stood up and said, we have died to our sin and we are raised in new life, and this can be yours also. So we pray this morning that if you've come in here an unbeliever, uh, we want to recognize that. And we're not scared by that. Um, I was once an unbeliever. And then God showed me that Christ died for the unbelievers like me. And that's his desire for you also, that you put your faith in Christ who pursues you, as we will see shortly. Philippians 1.3, I give thanks. This is Paul writing, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from this day until now. I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Indeed, it is right for me to think this way about all of you because I have you in my heart and you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Our new sermon series um, is simply entitled this, He is Lord. He is is Lord. And we're going to unpack that this morning. In the next two months, we're, we're going to see what does that mean for us? How do we live a life? If Christ is Lord, how do we now live? Uh, Jesus is Lord. Now, I would call Philippians, if you don't know what Philippians is, a funny, funny sounding book. I call Philippians a coffee mug book. 
For the simple reason that it is packed full of phrases that you might see on a coffee mug. I mean, and, and the reason it is because there are key verses that very concisely condense the gospel into one coffee mug phrase. You might know some of them. You look at um, Philippians 1.21. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. You, you can flip over to Philippians 3, 13. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. What a, oh, I, pers- I forget what is behind. Some of, some of us need to do that today. Some of you need to forget what was behind and press on to receive the prize that Christ Jesus is offering you. I, I think of Philippians 4, verse 13, that says, I am able to do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Um, now, Context is king in scripture. So you, you want to now look in the, the verses before that and realize that Paul's saying, I had a lot and I had nothing. I was fighting for my life and I was living it up. And in all things, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But truly, the aim of Philippians is not coffee mug heroicism. Uh, Paul was not saying, you know, what? if I could just end up on a coffee mug one day in America, I would have it made. That's not his goal. The goal here is Paul is writing to a church in the, the city of Philippi. You, you might say, well, who is, who is Philippi? Who is Philip? Philip, the, the town that this man was named after was the grandfather, actually the father of a man you might have heard of, Alexander. Uh, we call him Alexander the Great. So this is the dad of Alexander the Great. And, and he won this territory for the Rome and now Paul is writing to this church on his second missionary journey to the church at Philippi. That's why he's writing to the Philippians. And Paul loves, you can see his love for this church. And so what is the, what is the context of this book? And then we will look at Christ our Lord. More than any other letter, you can see the love of Christ through Paul for this church. He deeply loves this community of faith. Now, let me just say this. If, if you don't hear it much, I love this church. I love pastoring. I love pastoring this church and this community for his glory and for the good of the community and for the good of God. It's a joy for you to call me shepherd. For you, some of you call me pastor. You don't, I don't have a first name. You just call me pastor. Uh, it's a joy. I want you to know that it's a privilege to hear that because it means that you know I care and you know that I care about the Lord because I care about the Lord, I care about you. And together we want to grow in our faith. And Paul's heart of a pastor comes out in this book. But why is that important? Because Paul is writing this letter and I want you to understand this. This is gonna set in motion our next several months together. Paul is writing from imprisonment. He's writing from jail. So he's not in his executive office in his mahogany desk. He's writing from jail. And he's writing to a church. Now, can you imagine your mentor, your missionary, the one who has birthed this new life in this far territory that's far from Jerusalem. And, and now the man that you've been looking up to is in jail. What are you gonna do? There's apprehension. 
There's tension. The man that we've looked up to is now going to spend the rest of his life in jail. What do we do? And Paul is writing to them to encourage them. He said, although I'm in jail and I'm dying, the gospel is greater than my life. That's why Paul could say, look, dude, if I live, it's Christ. And church, don't worry. If I die, it is gain. Oh, what do you do with a man like that? I mean, if you're the world and you say, we hate Christ, we're going to kill you. Paul's like, okay, done, gain, I win. We're not going to kill you. We're going to let you live, okay? To live is Christ. This should be our mission. Why do we fret so much? What is the world going to do to us? Kill us? Let it be. Let us live? Let it be Christ. Paul is reminding the church, look, don't give up. Don't grow discouraged. Death is not the end. Jail is not a struggle, as we're going to see shortly. And Paul, this mighty church figure facing death, leaves this local congregation with this core truth. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. So much so that 15 times in this short book, Paul uses that phrase, Jesus is Lord. Lord. And it's vital for our relationship with the Father even today. Some of you know this verse, Romans verse, uh, chapter 10 and verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. So is Lordship fundamental to salvation? Yes. Yes, it is fundamental to salvation. We cannot embrace Jesus as Savior and deny his lordship in our life. You cannot, so listen to this, because Baptists, we struggle with this, right? We, we have, some of us have probably said, well, long ago, Jesus was my Savior, and now I have made him Lord. But what? The, the verse, God's word says, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, then we will be saved. The Lordship and the salvation and the Savior of the Messiah are intricately woven together. You cannot say, I made Jesus Savior and later accept him as Lord. No Lord, no Savior, no Savior, no salvation. So with that then, what is the lordship of Christ. That's important. What is the lordship of Christ? If Paul says Jesus is Lord, then what does that mean? So let's look at three aspects of Jesus' lordship before we look at the rest of the text. So verse one with me. Paul is writing your standard ancient Near Eastern letter greeting. I mean, most of you receive these, right? So the standard greeting, Paul, Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. To all the saints, now he's not writing to a pro football team in New Orleans. He's not writing to a high school in St. Clair County. Um, let me just say this. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are a saint. And when you die, we're not going to put you in a, with a, a gold portrait with a little, um, a, a, I don't know, a halo, a shining object above your head. You're already a saint. You don't have to die to receive that sainthood. And I cannot confer sainthood on you. Um, you're a saint. What does Paul say? To the saints in Christ Jesus. That's the joy of following Christ who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. 
Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. So very quickly, three thoughts about the Lordship of Jesus in your life. First, the Lordship means it is the relationship in which the Christian lives. Lordship is the relationship in which the Christian lives. Look at verse one. Paul says, to the saints in Christ Jesus. To the saints in Christ Jesus. For Jesus to be Lord, this is, this is now the relationship in which you live, in which I live. Um, John Moyer says it this way. To be in Christ is to possess what is spoken of as full salvation. Everything necessary, everything for your past, your present, and your future have been given in Jesus Christ. So if everything in your past, if everything in your present, if everything in your future is given in Jesus Christ, what are you lacking? Nothing, right? It, is there, is there anything you can think of that we lack outside of Jesus Christ? No, the Lord is our shepherd. We shall not want. Praise God that he, his lordship is a relationship in which the Christian lives. Um, we can now sing the song, the beautiful song, In Christ Alone. My hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. In Christ alone. Lordship is the relationship in which you now live to all the saints in Christ Jesus. Praise God for this Lordship. Secondly, Lordship is in which the Christian serves. Look at verse one. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. So not only is Lordship meaning that Jesus has provided everything you need, but lordship means now for you that you are a servant of Christ Jesus. We are his servant and his alone. Responsive obedience characterizes us. So what characterizes me as a Christ follower? Obedience. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says it this way. Unless one obeys, a man cannot believe. Unless you, you show me someone who does not obey Christ, I'll show you someone who does not believe. Because lordship means that we have put ourselves as servants of the king. No one can partake of the Christ-like life without serving him. Look what Paul says. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Are you servant? We, you are in a church. I want you to know this, that you have ample opportunities to serve. Let me highlight one of those. On Friday nights, every Friday night, we have people that serve our community, especially those broken in addiction or struggling with the change of substance abuse, uh, celebrate recovery. And every week they're meeting needs and, and they're, they're feeding them and they're loving them and they're encouraging them. That's one way that you can serve. We had a, a group of people that met with me this morning for our Next Steps class, wanting to become covenant members of Bethel. And I told them, as I tell everyone, God has not called you here to sit. He's called you here to serve. And, I, and I'm very lovingly, I say this, if you don't wanna serve here, this is not the place for you. It's not. And you say, well, where can I serve? It's not my job to tell you where. That's the Holy Spirit's job because he's gifted you. But lordship means, God, that I will serve you. Now, let me just say this as a dad, not as a pastor, not as a church person, as a dad. Some of you have invested in my little daughter and son in the nursery, and I, I don't even know who you are. 
But as a three-year-old, they come back singing songs and verses because you have put the joy of Christ in their heart. So as a dad, let me just say, thank you for serving our kids. Thank you. So when one day when they're baptized, well, you can stand up with me and we celebrate. We say, God, look what you have done because we have put ourselves under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It's a relationship in which you live. It's the one who you serve. And thirdly, look at verse two. Grace to you and peace from youth. Are you awake? God, our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Lordship is now meaning he is the giver from whom the Christian receives. Because he is Lord, he gives us good gifts. He is a giver of grace. He is the giver of mercy. He is a giver of everything that you need. Look at what Paul says, grace to you, peace from God, our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Thank God that when we put ourselves under the Lordship of Jesus, he is now our heavenly giver. He is our heavenly giver. If you're here today and you're in need, guess what? If, he, if God is your heavenly giver through Christ, what can you do to someone who gives? You can ask. He already knows, ask boldly and freely. And if you're asking selfishly, he'll remind you of that and you can now ask in the spirit. But be bold and say, Lord, you are our giver. Give me what I need. A.W. Tozer says this about being under the Lordship of Christ. It is either all of Christ or none of Christ. I believe that we need to preach again a whole Christ to the world. A Christ who does not need our apologies who will not be divided, a Christ who will either be Lord of all or will not be the Lord at all. I could not have said it any better. Is Christ Lord of your life? And if you're honest, and if I'm honest, there are parts of my life where I want to wrestle back the Lordship. We wanna give God the easy parts, the parts that we need we need him to clean up, but the parts that we hold firm, we say, God, you can touch anything but this. That's not lordship. Are you under the lordship of Christ? The embrace and the surrender of Jesus as Lord ushers in new life, unsurpassing joy, grace, peace, and eternal gospel partnerships. So with that, I want us to look at the, the gospel partnerships. That's the message today. Uh, that's the last half of the message today. Gospel partnerships. Gospel partnerships. Look at verse six with me. Paul says, I am sure of this. Now, where is Paul writing from? He's in prison. He's in jail. I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. In Christ, you participate in the gospel. You participate in the gospel. Say it another way. Christ works now in you. Christ is working in you. I, I'll say it this way. God doesn't create bridges to nowhere. Uh, before coming to Alabama, I pastored in a town called Gramercy, on the Mississippi River. You might've never heard of Gramercy, but has anyone ever had Zapp's potato chips? Okay, they're made in Gramercy. Gramercy is known for two things, uh, now three, but two things, uh, Zapp's potato chips and sugar refinery. What a healthy place to live. Like the, like the church was between the sugar refinery and Zapp's potato chips factory. So that was an awesome place to live. Um, but 
the town is on the Mississippi River. And because of the dangerous crossing of the ferries in, 17, in 1976, um, many people, over 70 people died because a ferry hit a barge and they sank. And so they decided to build a bridge, the Veterans Bridge. Uh, and they built it in, I believe, completed in 1995 across the Mississippi River, connecting the West Bank with the East Bank. Here's the problem with that. They did not connect the south side, it would be the west side, with the highway. So there was a bridge, but it was, not, it was connected to River Road, but not the highway. And so it affectionately for 20, or almost 20 years was called the Bridge to Nowhere. Um, it was 3,000 feet long, 165 feet tall, and it went to the other side of the river, but it really connected to nothing. And in 2008, we were actually there at the time. It, finally, they connected it on both ends. However, it took the power company several months to go a mile in distance to connect the railroad crossings. So they could not use the bridge to nowhere because even though it was connected to the highway, you could not cross the railroad track. And thankfully in 2008, this, this bridge to nowhere was completed and it had a purpose. Um, some of you today feel like you're the bridge to nowhere. You feel like God has started this work in your life and, in, and a lot of the struggles you've overcome, but you're just spinning your wheels. And, and I believe that this might be the church of Philippi because God has worked in them and this amazing work through the Holy Spirit, but yet their mentor, the one they look up to is in jail and they're thinking, God, how could you do this? Have you ever said that or asked that? God, how could you let so-and-so pass away? God, why, why would you let me have cancer? God, how dare you afflict me with this? God, this tragedy. And maybe you feel like you are the bridge to nowhere. Here is Paul's encouragement in your life. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work is faithful to complete it. And if you feel like there is nowhere in your life to go, I want you to know that God has not given up on you. I'm thankful that God planned for our salvation. He prepared for our salvation and the plan was executed to perfection. The plan was executed to perfection. This word began or started here means to inaugurate to a point where a decisive and deliberate act. When Christ is working in you, you participate in the gospel. Let me just say this. Jesus was the plan in your life all along. Jesus was the plan. God didn't wake up one day and say, man, these people are sinful. What do I do? Jesus is the plan. And if God has prepared for you, if he sent his son to die for you, don't we think that he would complete you? So, so don't buy the lie that God's gonna leave you unfinished. He's not. God took the initiative for your sake. I'm thankful that my salvation is not based on how I feel or based on me taking the initiative because tomorrow I'm gonna feel differently than I did today. God, it was God who began the good work in us that we could be participants in the gospel. Praise God for that truth. Not only does the power of the cross begin your participation with the Father, it continues your transformation. Look at verse six again. 
I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it to the completion when? Until the day of Christ Jesus. God, today, God is putting the finishing touches on your life. And I love what Alec uh, Maltier says about this. He's a biblical scholar. He says it this way. He says, God is working to a schedule in your life. And the schedule is to the day of Jesus Christ. Now, here's, here's the truth. God's schedule is not always your schedule, right? Sometimes we feel like, God, why are you working on the Department of Transportation schedule? Like this bridge has been built years ago and there's nothing. God, where, well, you promised me that you would, you would work in my life. And God, I just don't see it. And God is saying, I am working on my schedule. Trust me. Trust me because I am sure of this. He who began a good work in you will do what? He will carry it on to completion. God is putting the finishing touches on your life. Do you trust him? God does not create bridges to nowhere. He does not create bridges to nowhere. And he, he will call you. And being in Christ is not a passive spectator sport. It is active living. And he calls you to participate in the glorious resurrection of Jesus Christ. What a life transforming truth that we participate in the gospel. Some of you wake up, we participate, right? We don't just watch. Secondly, this. Jesus saves us now. If we participate in the gospel, Jesus saves us to partner in the gospel. If we participate in the gospel, God saves us now to partner in the gospel. Have you ever wondered who Paul is writing to in verse one? He says, to all of the saints. Now you can write this down and you can go read it later. Um, this is Paul's second missionary journey. And on the second missionary journey, he goes to this town of Philippi and in Acts chapter 16, you can read the events of this missionary journey. We know that probably three people in Acts are in this church. So when Paul is writing to the saints of Philippi, he's writing to these three people. And I want to share how, how Paul is participating with these people in the gospel. The first is, is Lydia. The second is a fortune teller. And the third is a jeweler. So Acts 16, 11, if you want to follow along there, um, I encourage you not to read it now, but you can read it later uh, when you go home. Acts 16, 11, Lydia was most likely the first convert in Europe. She was most likely the first European Christian the world has ever known. Lydia was wealthy, driven, intellectual, and a God-fearer who opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying in Acts 16, 15. So much so she was very wealthy. She was a, a seller of purple fabric. She became a leader in the church. Lydia, this intellectual, wealthy lady, was a partner in the gospel. The second partner that Paul is writing to, not only Lydia, a wealthy intellectual, someone we will strive, we want to strive to be as Americans, but secondly, there's this, this crazy slave girl in Acts 16, 16. You say, well, why is she crazy? Uh, she was held captive and enslaved by her masters. And she had a unique, she had a unique demonic gift she could tell the future. Now, let me just say this. Um, if you go to fortune tellers often, um, most of those are a sham and you're, you're wasting your money, okay? Uh, I'd rather you give money to gospel purposes than throw it down the sink. 
Uh, if you want someone to give money to, give it to me and I'll use it for the Lord, I promise. And I will tell you your future, right? Um, if, if that's what you want, uh, if, um, we'll open God's word and we very, we very clearly see the plan for God. The second is this, if you are really uh, into um, fortune telling in that environment, some of that is authentic. And that should scare you to death because it's demonic, right? It's not a sham. It's not a fortune cookie. It is demonic and it is real. And we see that this young woman had this gift and she was making a lot of money for her masters. I mean, you could, you could name your price. How many of you have a demonic girl around at your house that can tell the future? And that's rare, and so they were going to cities um, and because of that, people were flocking to her and she was giving them their demonic actual fortune. And she was following Paul around. We see in chapter 16, she was following Paul around. She was saying loudly, this man surely is from Jesus Christ. And eventually Paul gets tired of her and turns around and says, stop, you crazy demonic slave girl. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. And guess what happens to the demon? When the demons hear about the lordship of Jesus Christ, they have no choice but to cower in submission. And she is free from her demonic oppression. She is radically saved. And she is now a partaker in the gospel. Here's the problem. When you take someone's income away, the slaves, the, the masters were mad. Paul goes to jail because their meal ticket is no longer demon-possessed. So we have Lydia, this wealthy intellectual lady. We have this crazy demonic slave girl who was saved. And these are two of the partakers in the gospel. The third partaker is um, the jailer in Acts 16. So let's just, let's just call this guy what he is. He's a blue-collar ex-military man who took pride in his job. This is the guy, this is the Navy SEAL, that when they throw Paul in jail and they say, watch him, he's like, that's not good enough. We're gonna torture this person. So he puts him up in stocks. And so he goes above and beyond what he needs to do. Here's what happens. They throw Paul in jail and you know, Paul, you can't kill him because that's gain. You can't let him live because that's Christ. And so what's Paul doing in jail? He busts out in song, right? I don't know what he's singing, just as I am or something. Um, so he's singing, he's being tortured and in jail and he's singing. And as he's singing, the Holy Spirit begins to work and there's an earthquake and the chains fall off, the doors open and the jailer looks around and says, oh no, my people have fled. And the jailer's going to kill himself. Now, let me just say, the jailer doesn't have to kill himself, but he's, he wants to kill himself, I believe, because he's a man committed to the principle of his job. And if I have failed in my job, I have no reason to live, I might as well die. And so this blue-collar, hardworking ex-military guy is about to kill himself. And Paul, who has not escaped, says, don't do it. The same Jesus that saved this wealthy intellectual lady, the same Jesus that saved this crazy, demonic young girl is the same Jesus that will save you. And he believed. And the Bible says he and his entire household believe. Now, can I just share with you, if I'm going to start a church, I might choose Lydia. I'm probably not gonna choose the crazy young girl. You know, demonic possession, you, you guys stay over there. Probably not gonna to choose the blue collar guy who's a, little, uh, who's a little crazy, right? You tell him, look, do this, and he just goes over and above, right? Keep these people in jail, he's gonna torture them. 
But look what the gospel is doing. In this church, the gospel is breaking down barriers. And so you have a a rich lady with a blue collar worker and somewhere in between you have this crazy demonic young slave girl who has been freed. And this is the power of the gospel. And I would say that everyone in this room today fits somewhere in that spectrum. And I'll let you choose who you are. Maybe we have billionaires here, maybe millionaires. And you say, well, man, God's given me more than I could ever want. I want you to know that if you don't know Jesus, you don't have what you need. You need Jesus. And there is no money that will give you happiness. It's only Jesus Christ. Maybe you're the blue collar. You say, I take pride in my work. Well, I want you to take more pride in Jesus than your work, jailer. And maybe you're here and you say, man, my life feels like it's demon possessed. I've been in drugs and alcohol and there've been people that are fighting. I've been homeless and all of this. The gospel breaks down those walls. You can be a partaker in that. And, and the word for partnership here used in verses five and seven is the word koinonia, which means fellowship, partnership, and communion. And shortly, when we come to the communion table, we do so without labels. If you're rich, you don't come forward because you're rich. You come forward because Jesus Christ has made you rich. If you're poor, you don't come forward because you're poor. You come forward because Christ died for you and he made you rich with the gospel. If you've had a rough life, you don't come forward as someone who's had a rough life. You come forward as someone who's been redeemed and loved by the God who loves you. If you're fatherless, you don't come forward as someone who's fatherless. You come forward as someone who has a new father in Jesus Christ. And on and on, we come here as one. We come here with our labels stripped away and we come here in the power and through the partnership of the gospel. That's the power of communion. That's the power of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Gospel partnerships, though, listen, necessitate that you share the gospel. Gospel and the partnerships necessitate that you share the gospel. Alec Mortier, again, I've quoted him a lot today, but he says, those who possess the gospel will propagate it. And and I want to end just simply with with an illustration last two weeks. If you were not here last week, you missed an awesome week. We had six baptisms last week, and I, I lost count this week. People coming to faith in Christ. And let me just kind of run through the list really quick. Church, the power of Christ is working in you for the salvation of others. Roger baptized last week because of the influence of his friends and family. Mary and DeWitt baptized last week because of the invitation of a friend and neighbor. Johnny, a gentleman baptized last week, the influence of reading the word of God. Anna and Andrew baptized last week because they put their faith in Christ because of their family and their church. Evan baptized today because he went to a Bible study and the word of God transformed his heart. Mary baptized today because of her family. And I would say because of the influence of her godly father there. I'll just leave it at that. Melody Baptized today because of the influence and the power of worship in her life, transforming her. Haley, baptized today because of Christ transforming in worship. Delancey, baptized today because two people from this church invested months in her life. Natalie, baptized today because of her family, baptized by her dad. Zoe, baptized today because people poured into her on Wednesday night and the influence of her family. Church, why do I tell you that? Share the gospel and watch the Holy Spirit work. 
share the gospel. You say, well, I'm not trained. Yes, you are. If you have the Holy Spirit in you, you have training that money cannot buy and no church can provide. You know what evangelism sounds like? I was a sinner and I was saved by Jesus. And he can do the same, the end. Confess him as Lord, believe, and he will transform you through the Holy Spirit. Gospel partnership means that Christ is working through you. Church, are you partnering in the gospel? This is the power to those who believe. Verse six, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you is faithful to carry it to completion. We're gonna have a time of response. Uh, I welcome you to, to pray where you are, to come forward if you wanna pray. Uh, we will have councils up front, but I wanna ask you several questions. One is this. You might be here today and you say, well, I have never made Jesus Lord. I, I am the person that I feel like Jesus is my savior because I don't want hell, but he's not my Lord. Um, I would say this as lovingly as I can. If you don't know Jesus, you are walking a destructive path to hell. And today that can change. That if you, if you confess him as Lord and believe in your heart, there is this idea that there's a savior who is not a Lord. He, that's not a savior. That's an idol. And, and, and churches create that. You might've created that. But is Jesus Lord of your life? If he's not, I ask you where you sit right now. Don't wait. Put your faith and trust in Christ. Repent of your sins. Turn from your sins. Ask him to forgive you through the death of Jesus. He died for your sake that he would give you righteousness and he will save you. That's his promise. Maybe you're here right now and, and as I've been preaching, you're thinking of things that you are struggling with. God is, Jesus is Lord, but you still struggle. Um, I ask you right now just to spend time and say, God, I'm tired of fighting when I shouldn't be fighting. Lord, let me give it to you. You are Lord, so be Lord. I'm tired of trying to fight for the throne. And maybe you're here today and, and you're struggling because you feel like you're the bridge to nowhere. You feel like God started to work in your life a long, long time ago and he's left you hanging. And if that's you, I, I wanna encourage you this. I am sure that he who began a good work in you will not leave you uncompleted. He is faithful and just and will carry you to completion. You are on God's schedule and he will carry you to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Do not lose hope. And today may God encourage you through the watering of his word. Participate in the gospel, be a partner in the gospel. Church, share Christ and watch the Holy Spirit work. Let's pray.